Hello, readers. Bud Selig was the ninth commissioner of baseball and author of a book about his life in and around the sport. It's called For the Good of the Game, the inside story of the surprising and dramatic transformation of Major League Baseball. Bud, thank you for the time. How are you today? Good, Trey. How are you? Doing very well, sir. Thank you so much for the time. I really enjoyed reading this book, and uh, we'll get right to this conversation. So what was your goal in writing the book? The goal was, you know, I'm, I'm a history buff and uh, now a history professor, and I, all the years that I was commissioner, I, and I really didn't have the, clearly didn't have the time, I said to myself, someday I really like to, uh, I'd really like to write what I think is a really objective view. And I'll tell you a quick story. Years ago, we were sitting in Cooperstown. I had Doris Kearns Goodwin, a famous historian, and her husband, and Henry Aaron and his wife came over and sat down, and we were telling stories all night. We had more fun. And she said to me as a historian, you've got to write a book. You can't let this go. <laughs> and she kept on me after that. And so I'm happy now we did write it, and it's okay. And she did write the foreword for this book, and I'm glad you just brought Mr. Aaron up because your disdain for having to follow Barry Bonds around on the verge of him breaking Henry Aaron's home run record has been highly publicized over the last couple of days. It's in part because of the PEDs, in part because Bonds was, pardon my language, a bag of a person, in part because you're good friends with Henry Aaron, who represented the opposite of those things. When and how did you meet Henry, and what does he mean to you? Well, it's a great a great uh, question, because I was just in Atlanta yesterday, and I spent a lot of time with Henry. Henry and I first met in 1958. We were both 24 years old kids, um, and became fast friends went to Green Bay Packer games together, did a lot of things. And we had a really remarkable friendship. And I brought him back here in 1975 to play his last two years in Milwaukee, which meant a lot to me and a lot to him. And, you know, my friendship with him means, um, it means everything. He, uh, If you look at the cover, the, the quote that he has about that we've been best friends and who would have ever believed in is really true. Um, it is an, He is one of my closest friends in life. There's no question about it. Former Tigers owner John Fetzer was a mentor to you in the early days of you running the Brewers. And one of the first lessons he taught you was the need to be willing to put the sport's best interest ahead of the team's. Your belief in this ideology continued into your tenure as commish. What is the biggest example of something that you were personally opposed to as commissioner but pursued for the good of baseball? Well, there were things I did um, that, you know, I was a traditionalist, conservative, so even the wild card, I I, I liked it, but I was nervous about it. Oh, let let me give you another one even better. That's a good question. Um, Instant replay. Hmm. Tony La Russa was working for me at that point. And he and Joe Torrey, who I'd known since he's 15 years old, um, came and said, we got to do it. And they gave me all kinds of reasons. I don't want to do this thing. (laughs) And uh, it took them a while. I didn't like it. But the more they talked to me, the more I realized we have to do it. And we did it. And they turned out to be right, by the way. Well, speaking of instant replay and technology taking over an element of the game that used to be ruled by humans, uh, 
a common debate right now involves whether we should let computers call the balls and strikes because that technology does now exist. How long before you think that technology is implemented on the major league level? Now, I'm all for I'm all for technology. I'm all for the, and I and I like what we've done. I like instant replay, as I just said. I'm a little. I, I just. I think the umpires really do a good job buying home plate. By the way, and I was the worst second guesser of umpires in the history. <laughs> so what the, they, they they would say that if they were on the call. But I I hope we don't change that. I really don't. I like the ump behind home plate. Budge, you write about a huge opportunity that MLB missed in the early to mid-1980s regarding TV rights. What was that, and how would it have affected the league? Well, that was interesting. Um, You're right. We had a chance in 1983 to buy ESPN. Bill Giles and Eddie Einhorn, Bill of the Phillies, Eddie Einhorn of the Chicago White Sox, and they came to Bowie Kuhn, uh, it must have been 1983 then, 82, 83, and said we have a chance to buy this company, ESPN. And uh, Bowie, for whatever reason, just said, look, we don't have the $30 million, and we're just not going to do it. And That was, um, turns out, uh, I wish we had done it. <laughs> that, was, it was, that wasn't a golden opportunity. It was a lot better than a golden opportunity. Yeah, and you are right about uh, NFL and some of the positive steps they made while baseball was really misstepping things in the 1980s. Now, you eventually became commissioner in 1992, and you inherited a nightmare. Big versus small market teams regarding revenue sharing, players who wanted to be paid more, and the latter eventually led to a strike in 1994 that forced you to cancel the postseason. Was that a low point for you as a baseball lifer, and is there something you would do differently with that situation if you could go back in time? You know, that's a great question because I've thought about that a thousand times. And there really was nothing I could do. They were on strike. The, the clubs wanted a salary cap. My friend Stan Kasten, who then was president of the Atlanta Braves and the Atlanta Hawks, used to say to me on a daily basis, we're not asking for half as much as the other two sports have already. But um, it didn't work, and that's just the way it is. And... Um, um, yeah, the 94 was a real, it was a low point. It really was a low point. I say in the book, you'll remember I, using my favorite word, uh, I inherited a blankety mess. It was. We had a labor war. We had no, the economics were the same as they had been in 1935. And everywhere you turn, there was a problem. But it did give us opportunities and in the next 22 years or so, we were able to solve a lot of those. No question. You do a great job also of chronicling the experiences that you gained from 1994, really helping you out during labor no- negotiations in 2002 as well. And I want to encourage people uh, to buy the book to read about both of those scenarios and how you learned from the bad to create good in the early 2000s, a situation that could have become equally, if not more, messy. Just a couple more questions for Bud Selig. Uh, Bud, it is pretty universal agreed upon now that you were a fantastic commissioner for baseball continued where base uh, considering where baseball was when you started in the early 90s uh, to where you left things uh, just a couple of years ago when you stepped down and Rob Manfred took over what is your biggest key to good leadership um, the skill of getting people to work together um, it th- that I think you know 
When I took over, owners were fighting with owners. Owners were fighting with the union. The union was fighting with the owners. Everybody was fighting with the commissioner, whoever the commissioner was. And uh, we had a lot of peace, labor peace, peace amongst ownership. So I really feel good about that. I really do. And, I, and, and that's what I really saw. That's what I really saw of getting people to work together and I not to be tried again. But I, there was, they used to hear us all right for the good of the game. You are now also a Baseball Hall of Famer. Congratulations to that. I wanted to ask you about some guys who are not in the Hall of Fame yet. Uh, I wanted to hear your opinion on whether or not they should find their way to Cooperstown eventually. And we'll start with Mark McGuire. Should he be a Hall of Famer? Um, I gotta, I'll, I'll give you an answer to all of them. Okay. Because it's been my position. I'm going to let the writers decide that. I, the only thing I could do on the steroid crisis is tighten the program do everything that we did, and I'm proud of what we did. From now on, however, in the last couple of years, it's up to the writers. They're the only ones that determine whether McGuire, Sosa, Clemens, um, Bonds, they have to make that judgment. If you had a vote, though, would you vote all those guys and A-Rod in? I've I've never said that, and I'm not going to start now. (laughs) I think everybody knows how I feel, however, but um, I'm not going to just... We'll let time work their way through. Totally understandable, sir. And last thing, uh, you are in the Hall of Fame now as of the last couple of years, and you actually ended your Hall of Sp- uh, Hall of Fame speech with something that was off the cuff versus the prepared speech that you had. You said, quote, What you've seen in my career is the story of a little boy's dreams that came true. You said that uh, Sandy Koufax admitted that it even brought a tear to his eye what you had said at the end of your Hall of Fame speech. Yeah, I did say it at the end of my Hall of Fame, but I'll tell you where it started was my last night as commissioner was in New York at the New York Writers' Dinner. And I had gotten, I was sitting next to Sandy on the dais, and um, I was up there, I gave my prepared speech, and I just sat, I mean, I, I stood there for a minute and looked out at the audience. My wife was there and one of my daughters, and it was, and I, it's true. When I think of how this all started, a kid walking the streets of Milwaukee and wound up as the, owning a team and then as the commissioner of baseball, it was, it, you couldn't write a script like that. And so I said it, and uh, it got a huge reaction from everybody and Sandy did say that and so I used it again in my Hall of Fame speech because that's how much all this has meant to me. The one thing nobody has ever doubted is my passion for the sport and so obviously getting in the Hall of Fame was a huge honor And but I meant what I said. This really was a story of a little boy's dreams that came true. Well, Bud, thank you so much for the time today, and uh, thank you also for this book. It uh, has been a fantastic read, and I want to encourage everybody to go out and get For the Good of the Game. It's available now wherever books are sold. Uh, Best of luck in the future, sir. Thanks a lot, and it's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.